This is Bulls Beat on USF Bulls Unlimited. Each weekday morning, Bulls Beat is your stop for exclusive interviews, highlights, and the very latest on all sports at the University of South Florida. With today's show, here's your host, Derek Sharp. And on this Tuesday program, plenty of good stuff from the press conference. Of course, we had it live for you on USF Bulls Unlimited. Also, some interesting comments from after the press conference by both Alex Golish, the new head coach of the football team, and Michael Kelly. In our second segment, you'll get some cool honors that were bestowed upon the women's basketball team and a member of the women's soccer team as well. We did not do a conference show yesterday. It was kind of busy, you know, making sure the press conference got on the air and some other stuff. So we will end this hour with a pretty eventful conference outlook. Usually we do it on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, but we'll switch that up this time around. Going to take a couple days off from doing the show at some point this week. Not sure what the schedule is going to be. Actually going to try and take a little bit of a staycation as this was to be the, you know, week where nothing was happening. <laughs> no basketball games, etc. But, hey, we had something happening yesterday. So anyway, at the end of the hour, all the football news, the bowl assignments, the one volleyball team from the conference that's still going in the NCAA tournament along with all the basketball coming your way. Did not watch the end of the Bucks game last night. Just wanted to follow up on a tweet I sent out that said I had to turn off the Bucks game. They're just not enjoyable to watch sometimes. And just wanted to state for the record, I am happy that I, well, I'm going to say was wrong. I don't think I was wrong about the first three quarters not being enjoyable, at least from a Bucks fan's perspective. But just stating for the record, I'm thrilled with how the game ended. I was not like, oh, this game is over and the Bucks are going to lose and I'm done with them. I was just wasn't enjoying it so if anyone thinks I was not rooting for the Bucks no I am and go Bucks I'll take first place at six and six any day of the week and thrilled also with my bud Fred McGriff getting into the Baseball Hall of Fame it was quite an eventful Monday but here of course we stick to the USF portion of things on Bulls Beat and before we get into Michael Kelly and Alex Golish a little bit we've got to have Will Weatherford who started off the press conference always good for a memorable one-liner This was an exhaustive search that required a lot of conversations, a lot of research, a lot of due diligence. But I want all the Bull fans to know, we got our guy. This process was not about going fast, it was about getting it right. We're not trying to win social media awards here, we're trying to win football games and build a football program. Yes, folks, believe it or not, just because you're tweeting out what the Bulls should do, doesn't mean they're necessarily going to take it into action and into consideration. One of the men there, Will Weatherford, that Coach Golich actually mentioned in his opening comments saying you could feel the passion. Man, you can definitely do that. Some of his comments from the press conference coming up, but I actually wanted to play what Michael Kelly said to reporters afterwards, and this was made available thanks to the Bulls. So the microphone wasn't really hooked up, but you can still make out what he's saying on the actual timeline involved. He didn't speak to that part of it necessarily during the press conference, but did afterwards. Uh, we first had discussions a couple weeks ago, and that's true to what he said a minute ago. He wanted to wait till, uh, till everything was kind of uh, solidified with his season when they beat uh, Vanderbilt in the, in the final game. And then after that, we just uh, we were having discussions with many. Uh, so he was he was one, and as we continued, his uh, interest was there. We uh, that's what kind of zeroed in over the course of last week, and then uh, uh, really came to full agreement on Saturday morning. That was one of the first obvious observations that I had just listening to what the guys were saying there in the press conference, which, by the way, the Alumni Center was packed, and I was kind of tucked into a corner, but it was neat 
being able to see from my perspective, first of all, when the thing started, I don't know if you heard the beginning, uh, I was right there in the middle of the band. It was known pretty well because Sunday morning he was introduced to his team and now he'll be introduced to the fans. Everyone here in attendance standing to welcome officially Alex Golish. Actually, not as bad as it sounded in my ears. I thought there's no way anyone's hearing me talk right now. But yes, they mentioned Saturday quite a few times. So obviously it was Saturday morning when the decision was come to by all parties and that Alex Golish had agreed to become the head football coach of the USF Bulls. More from Mr. Kelly before we get to the head coach. What will be our identity and how will we get there? Of the dozens of conversations that have taken place over the past couple of weeks, that was the primary question to everyone. And in speaking with that and with Coach Golish, I love the focus and the details and the specificity of that plan that he was able to provide. That plan that's going to help rise us to the top of the AAC uh, to win the American consistently, be amongst those leaders. We know that's important. He's an elite recruiter. He's, you see that in the earnestness of his approach, in his, uh, the way he relates to his players. Uh, talk to, uh, you know, and then not only just the, the ability to do that in terms of recruiting himself personally as a great coach and a great recruiter, but understanding the systems that need to be in place in the modern day, both recruiting system, evaluation, player development structures, staffing programs in the modern college football era that are essential. And he knows how to do that and has exhibited that on stops along the way. He is a turnaround specialist. All right, let's face it, look at his career. You've read his bio. You know where he's been. He's been on multiple stops, and all of them get better. And that happens only when you're with the right people. You look at basketball, and you look at the plus-minus things when you think about when guys are in lineups or ladies in lineups, when their plus score is higher, it's because the team's doing better when that person is in the lineup. That's been proven true in football with Coach Golis. Everywhere he's gone, when he's been a part of it, that team has gotten better. And again, coming back to my theme of the modern college football era, all right, what program, where he's coming from, University of Tennessee, has probably had the greatest turnaround in post-COVID than Tennessee. A couple years ago, unranked, lots of different transition, now moving up to all the way to number six in the country right now in terms of the, their, their deal. So turnaround specialist is another important aspect. The grit, blue-collar nature, work ethic, the theme when checking up references on him was like, the guy's going to outwork everybody. And I've been with him in person here in Tampa for about 48 hours, and he's been working directly 46 of them. <laughs> I think he slept one hour each time. He's proven it. He lives it. That's the great thing. And he has a common theme of nobody works harder. And that's what we're all going to have to do with the role that we have. He's been the conductor and play caller for the most dynamic offense over the last two years, certainly this year, leading every statistical category and doing that against SEC defenses. But let's face it, it's, this is not against little sisters of the poor here. This is against some of the best defenses in the world. Right, best defense in the country, rather, averaging 47 points a game, 530 plus yards of, of offense. And what I liked about it was not only just those numbers, but the balance of that. They were the only team in the country last year to have average every game over 300 yards passing and 200 yards rushing. So when I look at our players, when we talked to them yesterday, they like that, right? That's meaning everyone's getting the ball, <laughs> no matter where they're coming from and how they're doing it, and that's a great thing. But it's not just offense, it's the aggressive nature the work ethic of how the defense is going to be approached. So when you think about that type of thing, when we talk about the answer what I was looking for in terms of what is our identity, because I think we were starving for some identity, and we've had some great moments of identity in this program. But when you kind of combined, right, a high-octane offense and defense, a work, uh, work, work ethic unlike any other, and then putting players first in an authentic and real way, that is indeed the identity that I expect and was seeking for in the University of South Florida football, 
And that's exactly what we got in Coach Bolas. And one more from Michael, and this was from after the press conference as well. And yes, it's a very valid question, and I love his answer to it. I love the phrase he uses, but is this Jeff Scott all over again, a coordinator, part of a high-powered offense, et cetera, that will be a head coach for the first time and didn't work out so well from a win-loss perspective, by the way. Love what Coach Scott did in other areas and love him personally, but here's what Michael Kelly had to say to that assertion. Well, I understand the comparison, but I would say it's a pretty surface-level analysis because when you look at something that, uh, uh, again, you've got an ability of someone that's turned around programs multiple places that has seen it from a lot of different vantage points. And again, it's not a perfect science in the coaching world. Some things work out extremely well and some things don't. But what I do know, uh, the current defending national champion, uh, his, his first coaching job was coming from a coordinator spot. I believe all but two of the American uh, champions in the history of the American Athletic Conference got their first job coming from a coordinator position. So when you look at all that, it's like, come on, guys. We just landed the top-rated <laughs> friggin' coordinator in the country, so let's stand up and celebrate. And if you want to look back at our own selves historically, there was a 39-year-old uh, defensive coordinator from Kansas State that uh, everyone was pretty friggin' high about, and he's the winningest coach in USF history. So let's get real. Let's be celebrating this uh, success of this guy and look at uh, someone that's real, wants to be here, he's passionate, he's going to treat the kids right, and he's fired up. So let's get behind him and still win some championships. That latter point absolutely was made pretty much clear by Michael when he talked about how this recent expansion of the playoff to 12 teams kind of opens the door for the Bulls to immediately be a candidate. He actually specifically in that post-press conference address talked about Tulane, which was 2-10 last year, and as we know, would be in the playoff if it was starting this season. Now on to a little bit from the new coach of the Bulls. The first few minutes was kind of a thank you list, which is appropriate, including getting choked up, as I almost did when he was talking about how much his family meant to him. I'm sure we'll get more into that later on down the road. But as he said, on to ball. On to ball. We're going to create a positive, positive football program and a positive culture where young men can grow, develop on and off the field. I started out as a high school coach. I have a degree in education. I wanted to be a high school coach and a high school teacher. I got an opportunity to get into college, and I still take it the same exact approach. As college football has changed and the world around us has changed, I still think it comes down to pouring more into these young people than you take from them. To work for 20 years, I gotta believe that part will never change. My job is to stimulate the entire organization, the entire athletic department, the men and women that are gonna work for us, stimulate everybody's growth, starting with the players. And I gotta be the calm in the storm. I get excited at times, but I'll think about the decisions I make before I make them. At the end of the day, we're going to have a program where we en enable player-driven leadership and allow the players to enrich the culture. We'll guide them. We'll give them the blueprint. And we're going to set the standard in every single phase of what we do. told these guys through my interview process that we're going to set a standard to be as good as we can as fast as we can. We won't put a bottom on it. We ain't going to put a top on it. We're going to get as good as we can, as fast as we can, and it's a race against us. And all of that is awesome, and saying that he and his staff are going to outwork everybody. Oh, speaking of his staff, he dropped a little hint when he got into the actual style of play as to who the defensive coordinator may be. 
Offensively, we're going to light the scoreboard up. Defensively, we're going to be the most aggressive group in the country. I'm sure it'll come out later today. Hired the best defensive coordinator in the country that I couldn't get a couple times. Told me Saturday night he's rolling with me. It'll be aggressive. It'll be intense. We're going to have a blast on defense. Special teams will be a difference for us. We're going to gain, gain momentum. We're going to gain yardage. We're going to score on special teams. The unique thing about me, and I promise this is the last thing I talk about me, is I've coached on both sides of the ball. I've coached on special teams and coordinated it. I see it from a different perspective. I see it from a big picture view. And now I get a, put, a chance to put my own stamp on it. And I promise you, I ain't going to let y'all down. Now, as we're recording this on Tuesday morning, the word hasn't gotten out officially, but apparently, according to many reports, that defensive coordinator is Todd Orlando, who was Willie Taggart's D.C. last season, before that at Southern Cal, before that at Texas, among many stops. The Bulls, you may not know this, something we don't really mention a lot, but we're last in the country in the top defensive categories. So anything is an improvement, but it sounds like He's fired up about how that side of the ball will go as well. And then one more from Coach from after the press conference, and this was interesting. You know, he was asked, uh, did he keep tabs on USF more or less? Of course, he was with the team down the street, as he actually referred to them. I don't know if you saw the Matt Baker of the Tampa Bay Times tweet because there was a couple times when basically he was alluding to his prior stop to Tennessee and would not say that school by name. And his response was, let's go Bulls, baby. So, yeah, he's already gotten the war and I four figured out if he didn't already. But this was pretty interesting. I coached down the street for a year and saw it from coaching against them. I've seen it from afar for a long time. I've recruited in this area for a long, long time. When USF has been up, I've understood why. When it's been down, I haven't understood why. You're in the talent most talent-rich state in the United States. You're one of the talent most rich three counties maybe in the country. Incredible high school coaches, the states that surround it are as talent-rich as, as imaginably possible. There's no reason why it shouldn't. I've always wondered why. And those were the questions I asked. I've always wondered why it was successful and why it wasn't at times. And those were the questions I asked through the interview process. It was a job that when it came open, I asked, man, could it be a fit? Um, I chose not to take any phone calls or do anything until we got done Saturday night a week ago. And uh, that Sunday, as we sat and thought about it, this was for sure a place I wanted to investigate, dig into. And as the process went, I saw a commitment to it. And I said, man, if there's real commitment here, man, we could take this wherever we want to take it. You, know, you mentioned recruiting the Bay Area. Those are two schools, just coincidence, and it didn't really pop into my head until he actually said that, but two schools, Iowa State and Toledo, that always seem to have Tampa Bay kids pop up and do well for them. And I always wondered how, how they get up there. Well, that guy. I think that's a pretty good development. He also was asked about the possibility of retaining members of the current coaching staff, and he kept the door open for that, but just worth noting that we just mentioned Coach Orlando always has doubled as the linebackers coach, so that probably spells the end of Ernie Sims, I'm guessing. Daniel Prado hanging around. He was one of the many coaches there yesterday from the Bulls in general, most of them head coaches. Of course, he was the interim head coach, but from every sport, it was kind of a fun event to be a part of, and we'll continue to cover the story and give you the news here on any new 
coaches added to the fold. And any players coming and going, the transfer portal is open. Saw that Jaron Mangum, another popular guy, is the latest to say he is moving into that portal. Coming up next, Players of the Week were announced by the conference in basketball. Again, we're going to end the hour with a full conference outlook, but how it relates to the Bulls. Namely, we've got the Player of the Week coming your way and a cool honor for a women's soccer player as well. That's next on Bulls Beat. Back to the beat. Bulls Beat continues with Derek Sharp. You know, we had a lot of highlights from the women's basketball game. Of course, we give you plenty of chances to catch it on replay, but... There were some things we left out on yesterday's show just because, you know, the football coaching news that going back and listening really stood out and just were moments that could have turned things in the wrong direction from you know, Dulcie Fankamengiadu picking up a fourth foul on an absolute fall down, no foul, no chance at a foul call. Oh, my goodness. Absolutely, she flopped, and Dulcie picks up foul number four. My goodness. I'm not saying the officials were against the Bulls just some things were working against them and then she herself Dulcie would miss a layup that would have put the Bulls up by five and Texas had the lead less than a minute later and yet the Bulls overcame it and as part of that effort Sammy Puisis and Elena Chneku were both equally clutch in this one Puisis gets named AAC player of the week now remember the Bulls only played one game during the course of the week so it was going to be hard to get multiple players on the weekly honors and frankly Chinecki not being on the honor roll is kind of laughable, but she could have equally have been the player of the week. We'll do the conference stuff in full at the end of the hour. But here's just a little bit of Sammy's act. The second quarter is when she really put the Bulls on her back and got the lead up to double digits. Now Chinecki over to Puisis, wide open for three. Looks good, and it is. Queen for three. That was the Bulls' first made three. Again, the other one was a long two, but... What matters is Puisis is in rhythm. Now Puisis has the defender falls down, a wide open three, and it's good. Boy, I don't know exactly what Aaliyah Moore was doing out there, but it wasn't playing defense. Over to the left side for a three, rattles in by Sammy Puisis. Three in a row for Pui. Another miss as Moore got too far underneath the basket. Texas fans want a foul, I guess, on the rim. Open three, what do you want there? Pui for three. 42-31. And then just uncanny in the fourth quarter after Texas had taken the lead, she actually misses a three. Chinecki helps get the rebound back. And as you heard on yesterday's show, she hits that jumper and would hit the final, not clinching shot, but if she misses it, it's going to be last possession and you're sweating it out because it was a one-point game before Puisis drove the baseline and rose up to nail about a 12-footer and make it a three-point game. The Bulls win by five. 25 points, one shy of a career high for Sammy Puisis, named the AAC Player of the Week. And oh, by the way, she leads the country in three-point attempts and is second in three-point makes with 32 of them. But we just explained, she hit two 12 to 15-footers there in crunch time. And after going for three years at FSU, basically only shooting threes, roughly 80% of her attempts were from beyond the arc at USF. It's more of a 60-40 split. Either way, she has been fantastic and right now updated. Is their leading score at 17 points a game? Chinecki right behind at 16.7. Those two between them decent at the free throw line. Sammy is 26 for 26. That'll work. And Chinecki is 25 for 31. That is 80%. Dulce Fankamengiadu adding 15 points and 11.5 rebounds per game. And then Carla Brito right on 10 points and 6 and 2 thirds rebounds per game. Bulls are back at it on Sunday 
at NC State. Said the Bulls had a chance of making the top 25. Not quite, and I probably was a little bit off with my math. Of course, that the Bulls were going to get some more votes from the writers. They got 12 votes, but still just outside of the top 30. Thought that the teams that lost towards the bottom of the rankings would fall out, and indeed three of them did. How about Louisville falling out after not too long ago being a top 10 team? Texas falls out, so does Marquette. Villanova did not drop out of the top 25, stayed actually at 25. And there were some other teams bubbling under that jumped in, namely Oklahoma, Kansas State. Gonzaga actually rose a spot despite losing. Should be mindful that that loss was to Stanford. Hey, speaking of moving into the rankings, Arkansas jumps in. The Razorbacks add them to the list of future possible Bulls opponents. Actually, the way it's going to work out with Arkansas and Oregon both being close to one another in that 18 to 20 range in the rankings, it'll be an equivalent opponent no matter what in San Diego for the Bulls. So first they play this Sunday afternoon at NC State. Watched a little bit of them winning at Georgia. KD Abrahamson Henderson, the former UCF coach, had the Bulldogs hanging around the Wolfpack, but NC State was just a little too strong. It was wild seeing diamond battles and a lot of former Knights on that Georgia team. Battles were just two for 14. So, yeah, NC State can play some defense. That's who the Bulls play Sunday. Then they'll come home, actually, next Wednesday morning. We'll play Marshall, follow that up with the game against LaSalle. And then it's off to San Diego where they'll play Ohio State first. And in the new rankings, the AP rankings yesterday, guess where Ohio State is? That would be third in the country. And then win or lose, they'll play Oregon or Arkansas. So you're going to get number eight, number three, and then the team that's around number 20 in three of your next five games. And the net ranking for the Bulls will only go higher. Yesterday, actually, both men and women, the first net rankings of the season were released. The Bulls are only 41, but you can understand because some of their opponents were a little bit weaker. And again, they haven't played NC State, Ohio State, or Oregon slash Arkansas yet. And once that happens, that number is going to even go higher. They do have the best conference net ranking. Memphis is actually, because of its schedule, not far behind. One team that's also in the state of Florida, way behind the Bulls because of not nearly as good of a schedule. And man, when UCF went to Auburn this weekend for their first real tough opponent, it didn't go well. We'll talk about that at the end of the hour with Around the American. The men's basketball team didn't have that great of a first net ranking, but, hey, their schedule would not really lead to that. But they're playing better and fun to watch, and they're back at home on Sunday night. Mentioned that there was a member of the women's soccer team that got a big honor. She was third-team All-South Region, talking about Kiara Hahn, who led the Bulls in scoring. She was not supposed to be their leading scorer. She was supposed to, from being the defensive midfielder, be more part of the attack, and man, was she. Five goals, most of them from long range, and Kiri gets a deserved national recognition. The women's soccer season actually ended last night with UCLA beating North Carolina in double overtime. Also, shout out to former Bull Enrique Galina, who is in the Final Four on the men's side as the College Cup is set. College Cup is the name for soccer. It's basically Final Four, but in soccer, and Pitt is part of it. That's where Enrique Galina plays. ACC was the conference that had the most teams in the men's soccer tournament, and they have two of the Final Four, and they could meet up in the championship. Syracuse will play unseeded Creighton, which just got on a tear at the end of the season after winning the Big East tournament, and Pittsburgh, unseeded, recently knocked off number one Kentucky, will play 13th-ranked Indiana, the semifinals, in a few days. That wraps up Bulls Beat on a Tuesday. I'm Derek Sharp.